Hello and welcome to From the Rookerind. Uh, it is pre-match with Watford uh, to play today at home to Crystal Palace. And we'll talk about that game, uh, but we'll talk about it a lot later because it's been quite a week. My name's John, with me is Michael. Yeah, very much the best part of the uh, Watford uh, watching week, isn't it? Before the match. <laughs> so yeah, hi, hi. Uh, and Colin. Good afternoon. Yes, well, Mike, we finished the podcast last week. Uh, your line was that the position of Kike Sanchez Flores was untenable. And by Sunday lunchtime, uh, he was uh, removed from his position as head coach. We know how you felt, but Colin, you've been calling for this for, for quite a while. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. I was very cross after the Chelsea game, which followed up a very poor performance against Everton. And I did feel that there was a disconnect between the squad and what the coaches were trying to kind of put in place. And I, I, there, there seemed to be, there wasn't much unity. But then we went up to Norwich and actually put in a decent performance, kind of into the trenches, 10, 10 men last 30 minutes and got a, got a decent 2-0 win. But then that wasn't the start of something, that was a blip. And then we went back uh, and we got battered by Burnley. And, and that, that game really, I felt, was that, that's it. Come on, we need, we, it's not working. And, you know, the thing is... With the Premier, what, what wasn't working? We just were a bit spineless. We were bullied in that game. And we weren't able to stand up to them. We weren't able to get the ball down and play the sort of football that you need to play against Burnley in order to play around them. We did quite well in the first half. We dominated proceedings in the first half. But once that first goal went in, you kind of knew that was it, I thought. We didn't have the resources to to come out and, and reset and go again and get the equaliser and try and win the game. We just sort of, it seemed to slightly, there was a lot of panic, a lot of people looking at each other and it wasn't, it wasn't a great performance. So I feel a bit sorry for Kike, but on the other hand, he didn't, do the, he didn't do what he was asked. He couldn't do what he was asked to do. Maybe that's the player's fault, but either way, what are you going to do? You're not going to change all the players. You've got to change the coach. So they, they've made that change. And I, I think it's created a, a bit more optimism amongst Watford fans, particularly with you know, the new appointment, which I know we're going to talk about in a minute. But Michael, as a week for you though, you know, when the minute Kike's news came out, the, the rumours came around and we actually said, right then, we'll do an emergency podcast, 8 o'clock Sunday evening, we'll know by then, won't we, who the new manager is? But we didn't. We didn't know for a very long time. So how was your mental state throughout this week? Very up and down, it's fair to say. I mean, I just had to, before we turned the recorder on, I had to sort of get the chronology straight in my straight in my head because it has felt like an incredible week. There's been so much going on. We had the Southampton game, the disappointment of that. We had Kike's removal, then we had a game midweek and there was lots to unpick from that. Um, all the, all, And then for the, for the entirety of that week, all the time swirling around who's going to be the, the new manager. And you're right to point out that's the first time in, in a long time that a, a manager has it, or head coach, should I say. Let's get the... Uh, terminology correct uh, attention to detail um, so yeah this is the first time in a long time that head coach hasn't been announced very very quickly uh, after the departure of the previous one so it's been different in, in a lot of ways hasn't it and I think this is the first time where right up until very very close to the appointment no one genuinely had a had a clue who was going to be going to be taken over as head coach a lot of people like to use the bookies as a as a yardstick absolutely hopeless wasn't it this the, the number of the number of head coaches or managers that have been odds on during the week showed that no one outside the the inner circle really really had a clue and there's there's lots of stories about you know Harry being asked to come back and Cuton Allardyce all these all these names swirling around and I have to say none of them filled me with any sort of optimism really none of them really felt like a a good fit for Watford, or, the, or, or we're going to take us forward. They sort of, for me, they came into two different types of managers that were sort of being talked about. One would have been someone there who's coming in just at the end of the season, Mr. Allardyce, maybe particularly, that sort of short term appointment. And then the vibe I got when I heard someone like Hewton was the fact that 
oh, well, that's maybe they're half thinking that we do go down and a manager who could get us up. And then you get the other one from some of the, the European managers and you go, that's just the same again. You're not changing enough. So I had very, very mixed emotions. So, Colin, for you, what was the highest, most important factor in the new head coach they had to have? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think they needed to have, have someone with experience in this situation. So um, some of the managers you've just mentioned obviously have had that because a couple of them have, have been involved in relegations. The one that really scared the living bejesus <laughs> out of me was when I saw Mark Hughes had suddenly become the favourite. And I, got, I received about a million texts, people saying, if it's Mark Hughes, I'm not going. I'm not going. I cannot support the club if he is our coach. I will wait until he's gone and then I'll come back. But also I think what's interesting is that I think they interviewed some of those people. I think Hewton was seen at the at the training ground, and I suspect that he would wanted a longer contract. I don't think I think it's it's not very palatable the idea that you're coming in to do a rescue job, sort of like Red Adair, and and you only get an eight month contract, which would all end at the end of the season. There's no so I suspect that some of them were trying to argue for like, oh, can I get 18 months or two and a half years? I suspect Big Sam wanted too much money. You, you could see why they were looking at them. There was also this rumour that came out of the dressing room that the, 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 the British contingent, maybe not just the British contingent of players, were quite keen to have a British coach who could come in and really get hold of them. And uh, so there were some options. I wouldn't have minded Hewton. I think that would have been a reasonable appointment. Uh, as I say, I, I wasn't that keen on the idea of Sam. Uh, but what we needed was someone that could come in and grab hold of this group of players because there's talent there. I went to the Southampton game and we played really well for 75 minutes. But once we went 1-0 up, what happened then was that we started, or I think the players, but also Kike, started to slightly lose confidence in, in the project of that game. And he started to take off players and bring on more defensive players. Now, we have watched football all our lives and we've seen that in World Cups, European Championships, Champions League, League Two. When you're 1-0 up and you start replacing uh, players that go forward with players that defend, you're asking for trouble. And sometimes it works and you hold on, but more often than not, the quality of the opposition, if you give them basically carte blanche to attack you, will eventually score. And that is what happened at Southampton. And, and after that, you thought, that, so what we need is someone who doesn't let that happen. Someone with a bit more kind of toughness, a bit more ambition. The players are good enough. It's he's got to get them to believe it, to believe in each other, to believe in him, and we've got to get some wins to get some confidence in the in the legs. There were some very alarming quotes, uh, well, alarming, honest quotes from from Ben Foster yeah. in the week, which I thought were were incredibly telling. And he he used a word that we've used in our in our WhatsApp group. He, you know, he said the rot had set in, and it was it was bad. And he said it started sort of round about that Huddersfield game, which was the last last win before Norwich a long long time ago in April he said once we, once we got to the FA Cup final there were some effectively the flip flops were on they were patting themselves on the back till they got to the FA Cup final and the levels weren't where they should be and he said he virtually said it, it was then got too far gone to wrestle it back there was sort of the confidence disappeared and they, they stopped winning matches the effort wasn't there and it was it was too far gone the rot had absolutely set in which is what we said and which is what's what sort of gave rise to my rather negative series of tweets after the game uh, at Leicester on Wednesday because I felt very clearly that unless something happened and these are the phrase this is the phrase I used if we go down we won't be a West Bromwich Albion we'll be a Sunderland we will just continue to, to struggle. We'll continue to uh, to st- sort of get enveloped by this by this quicksand that has this malaise that sort of it, it has been all encompassing. So to to jump in on your questions, Colin, what does the new manager need to do? He needs to stop that. And uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people saying, well, Nigel Pearson will be a disciplinarian, and then the counterpoint to that is, well, modern day footballers 
don't react well to that. Well, I don't really buy that. I think there's, there's too many in this, too many in this squad that either do need to react well to that or they need to disappear, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, I think it's that's what needs to happen. So we all talk about confidence. There isn't a bottle of confidence you can go around and, and sprinkle on everyone. There isn't a way of just getting more wins. But what we absolutely have to do, if you look at the wider the wider situation of the club, the wider situation we're in, we have to stop that rot. And that, need, that means a culture change, ultimately, because going from what Ben Foster said, in the last six, seven, eight, nine months, we've lost what has made this club successful over the last four or five years. It's gone. And somehow we need to get it back. And that is the incredibly large task that the the new head coach needs to deliver. Nigel Pearson needs to deliver. I found that article by Ben Foster extraordinary because you hardly ever, ever see anything like that when a player comes out and digs out the basically the whole squad and says it's not good enough lads you know and so it's obviously it's been plainly apparent to us uh, watching them over the past seven or eight months but here's a bit of positivity so last night so Lily my youngest her best friend is a Leicester fan and her dad is a fanatical Leicester fan and he sent me this very long text I was at um my brother-in-law's housewarming last night and I got this very long text from him. I've never met this bloke. I've only kind of had texts because we've taken kids to games and stuff. And he said, it's a brilliant appointment. He said his kind of public face, Nigel Pearson this is, his public face with the media sometimes can be a bit strange. But he said, but he, he was brilliant for us. Not only the great escape, but, the, but his man management skills. This is what he was saying. His emphasis of this text was, he's a very, very good man manager. He doesn't look like it necessarily when you watch the press conference. You think, oh, you know. And yes, he is a disciplinarian, but he's not a kind of, sort of 19th century bully that's going to come in and get a cane out and start smacking them but my first thought when he was appointed was oh Gerard Delafair will be training with the under 23s by the end of next week (laughs) (laughs) hopefully that won't happen but uh, so he was very positive about the appointment as a Leicester fan who has experienced that coach at his club on two different occasions managed a lot of games there and yeah eventually he was sacked but he's still given quite a lot of the credit for that, that, that Premier League win because of what he the work he'd done. So that made me feel a lot more positive. And it's unfortunate in a way that he didn't come in after the Chelsea game because we had some games that that were more winnable. He's going to have to come in and, and go to Anfield and then face Man United at home. And that is a tough start. But, you know, you've got to play these games and hopefully he'll be able to... The culture change, I think you're so right, Mike. There's got to be a culture change. There's got to be more effort, more togetherness, more fight. It's a relega- It's not even a relegation battle. We're adrift. We're on eight points. You know, they're running. They're getting away from us, and we really need it to happen right now. And people are still saying they'll be all right. They've got good players. They're, they're too good to go. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist, and they haven't watched the team like we have. But yeah, so hopefully this chap can come in and really make a big difference just to the way the players are thinking, the way they're training, their attitude in the run-up to games, their attitude after games. Has it really been hurting them? these defeats I don't know Has it, have they really been having a sleepless night and coming in on Sunday feeling terrible like players do who play for big clubs who hate losing they hate drawing I remember Petr Cech saying when he was at uh, Chelsea when they drew it was like a funeral they didn't even have to lose to feel like that they could only, so I'm not sure that's been happening here I think there has been a bit of uh, sliders and yeah and selfies the, the biggest thing I suppose for me is the fact that he's the well Let's say we gamed you last. Uh, the first full-time, more than one game, uh, British manager that we've had uh, as uh, this club. And that, for me, the biggest part of that isn't the fact that they've gone that way, but it's the change and what that must have been for Scott and Gino from where they would have gone. This, do you think, Mike, this is the hardest decision they've ever had to make? 
I suspect so. Yeah, Watford find themselves in a very, very, very difficult situation. And you know, Colin's right. We can't we can't steer away from the fact that whilst the season isn't dead yet, um, it's it could be quite quickly. Um, we are facing a severely difficult relegation battle. So there's two things now. We've got to try and stay up, but we've also got to be realistic to realise that there is a you know a strong possibility that we will be in the championship next season. So this um, this appointment needed to be one that could that can manage us through either outcome and and that is a very very difficult difficult a it's a difficult sell to 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 personnel coming in as a head coach do you want to be going to a club where you may well be out of the premier league in in five years looking at the championship thinking god half this the half this side will disappear it's going to be very difficult to get up so it's a difficult sell to get someone in so for them to get the right person that's right for Watford and right for the for the person coming in extraordinarily difficult which is why I think it took you know in Watford terms yeah, yeah. A, bit, a bit longer <laughs> that week and why why so many of us were were scratching our head and um, you know it did come as a surprise to me when his name first came into the frame but the more I thought about it the more the more it seems to make sense and, and the, the happier I'm with it but I'm, I'm in no doubt that yeah this is the the hardest decision I think they will look back and they will see the they'll see Kike's reappointment as a as a mistake obviously with with hindsight hindsight is 2020 they will see that possibly as the biggest mistake of their Watford um, t- Billy McKinley aside perhaps biggest mistake of their Watford tenure and in turn yeah absolutely the, the most difficult um, uh, the most difficult appointment that they've made and I, I think they've, I think they've done it he hasn't he hasn't taken charge of a game <laughs> yet but I feel a lot more positive at the start at the end of this week if you can call a Saturday at the end of the week uh, as I did at the start it's been a difficult difficult week I've had so many contrasting emotions part of me wants to sort of self-preserve and give up and say right we're down there's no, no way we can do it if we win a few games from the end of the season now and, and my tweets in the week were very very negative and a lot of people rightly pointed out Michael, come on, don't give up yet. Well, there's so many points still to play for. There's, there's football to, to be played. And of course, that's absolutely right. So I've been up and down, up and down, but I've ended it positive because I think they've done the best they can in a very difficult situation, made a, a, a strong appointment that looks positive for Watford, whichever turn we, we go, whether it's left, staying up in the Premier League, whether it's turning right, going down into the, into the Championship. I can see Nigel Pearson being at the helm in both situations. I, I also think that um, this is a good appointment for Nigel Pearson because uh, his reputation got slightly tarnished by not only being sacked but also there was some shenanigans with his with his players and I think his son and and I'm surprised in a way when I, when when I think about it now that he hasn't been looked at by other clubs who were in difficult situations and I think um, he's going to be hungry hungry not only to get back into the job that he loves but hungry to uh, rebuild his reputation as a, as a good coach and a good man manager and I think that's also what we needed we didn't want some some sort of you know one of the dinosaurs just to wander in for eight months and take a couple of million quid and go well it didn't work out sorry like, a, like I mean I don't, I don't mean to denigrate that those, those chaps but we know who those managers are they've done it before they go in they come out what we've got here is actually someone I think and obviously having never met the bloke but I, I, it, the feeling is this is his chance to get back in and if we go to the championship it's the same thing for him he's hungry to rebuild his reputation as a coach, as a man, and I think that is also one of the things that we that we uh, needed. So I think it's a pretty good match. He definitely suffers from a perception problem, and Colin touched on it earlier. I think you know his his, his prickly persona, um, and he's viewed as someone who's been out of the game for a long, possibly longer than 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 he has been when you think about him. And 
he has got a, there's a perception problem when it comes to him and I think that's why there's been a lot of raised eyebrows outside uh, of the Watford bubble if you like and, and some internally as well and I think the, uh, the the reason it's even more of a difficult decision for the for the Pozzos uh, for Gino and Scott is that I think for the first time when I whenever I've done any any radio or stuff like that they say are they are the fans still behind the owners are they you know they chop and change they do this they do that you know they trot out all the all the usual tropes and up until now I said yes all you know with I could, I could never speak for all Watford fans but almost exclusively Watford fans are behind the the owners and think they're doing doing the right thing the last two months or so has been a real chink for the first time I think I don't I'm not among them I'm, I'm still fully behind them uh, you, you need to realise how difficult it is to run a football club in the Premier League to keep a club like Watford competitive and, and, and running smoothly in the Premier League it is a just an almost impossibly difficult job and they've done an incredible job so far and I think they're still acting in the best interest of the club but this is the first time that there's been that, that doubt and I think there is doubt amongst, amongst some Watford fans we all three of us I think are all very very positive Positive about it, but I don't think that is. I don't think that's across the board by any stretch of the imagination. I think some Watford supporters have been hurt by this season. Um, some of it, it is a bit sort of right. Come on, pull your socks up, lads. We've been here before. This is by far and away not the worst situation we've ever been in. Watford fans, and I think some people need to man or woman up a little bit. Um, but also, you know, people are, are bruised from what they've seen this season, and I think. Uh, there needs to be a upturn in upturn in performances pretty quickly for a whole host of reasons. Well, let's see what the, the next performance is. Uh, not the first for uh, Mr. Nigel Pearson, uh, but we head inside to watch Watford against Crystal Palace for the second game in charge uh, of Hayden Mullins. Let's see what happens. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans. for Watford fans from the rookery end. It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again. To Michael Parkinson, fresh off the football pitch, it's Arlo. Arlo, how are you doing? Good. Now, as you know, it's been a topsy-turvy week again for Watford. They've hired a new head coach, haven't they? Who's that? Nigel Pearson. My question to you, Arlo, if you could hire anyone to be Watford's head coach, it doesn't even have to be a football manager, it could be anyone, like a superhero or a pop star, anyone in the whole world to be Watford's head coach, who would you choose? Can I choose a player to play on Watford's team and the manager? Why not? Let's go for it. I would have Les's manager and Salah. You want Mo Salah and you want Brendan Rodgers? Yeah. Did you know something? Yeah, Before Brendan we... Rodgers has been our manager before. And a lot of Watford supporters don't really like him, what? but you'd, ha- you'd have him back? Yeah. What about someone who's not anything to do with football? Me. Do you think you could do a good job? Yeah. We'll let the club know that you're ready, willing and able to become Watford's next head coach. Arlo, thanks very much for joining us. Bye, see you next time. You're listening to From the Rookery End. Just a little over two hours later, uh, I find myself uh, with Mike still. Hello, Michael. Hello there, still standing. Uh, outside the Hornet shop with Jason now. Good evening. Good evening. And we've just seen Watford draw nil-nil against Crystal Palace. Michael, I'm just going to say that was a contest. And I don't think we've seen that for a full 90 minutes 
all season. No, it was interesting. I think we were saying on the, I think as Geordie said on the WhatsApp group, it feels like a a derby or a, or a cut match. And Troy mentioned in his programme notes as well that there's always a bit of needle between the two. And yeah, it felt like that. It played out like that, didn't it? There was the um, inevitable Zaha meltdown came a lot earlier than uh, than I thought. And it's uh, you know you shouldn't laugh, but it is hilarious. And yeah. if that, that guy could just control his emotions, he'd be he'd be an absolute world beater. But yeah, it was yeah from the from the off, it was. Uh, yeah, it was a battle. It was a battle, and uh, I think one that probably Watford won on points. Yeah, definitely. Um, Jason, though, um, sorry, just two games with with Hayden Mullins sort of being in charge. Lovely uh, bit before the game, saying thank you to him for, for sort of stepping in over his last couple of games. Still been in charge. He was he's been in charge of more games uh, than Billy McKinley and uh, more games than Oscar Garcia. But uh, Jason, it, you know, the last two games against Leicester and uh, against. Crystal Palace he's, he's played with four at the back it seems that he sort of has simplified how we're playing football and that's been good yeah he is I'm four yeah, so four at the back kind of a 4-4-1-1 four, four, one, one really I guess um, almost a 4-4-2 almost a four, four, and, and you say how he sort of simplified it and certainly looking well, the Leicester game that was always going to be difficult it was going to be tricky that was, that was going to be a, an element of stopping that blue wave because they're doing so well Today, before the game, he said about taking the game to Palace, and he absolutely did that. You saw from the from the first minute, players were attacking the ball, getting stuck into challenges. It was almost like it was, I just I felt they're sort of thinking this is this is football. This is this is proper football. We're having a go. This it should be like if if we were playing Sunday football down the ball. Maybe not us. We're a bit old now, <laughs> but younger versions of us were playing down the park. That's how we'd play football. Like the, uh, showing a desire, passion, wanting to win. And you say, yeah, that's how simple it got. It it was football. I told you again in these last two games, Mike. We've seen some players come back, some players get their break, and uh, and several shine. The main man. Let's get this game out of the way. Mr. Troy Deeney back. Not amazing at Leicester, but in absolute full effect today. Yeah, well, he's doing what he's doing. What Troy does, isn't yeah. he, Richard? It's important to have that man on the pitch, especially in a game like today, where there's all the shenanigans going on. You need that man who can talk to the ref, uh, stop things from boiling over, or sort of you know help it or help it boil over where it needs to. <laughs> but yeah, he, you know, he's a, he's a captain. He's that talisman. People throw that word around a lot, but it is it is true. I mean, he didn't really get much much of a sniff in the way of goal scoring um, opportunities, but he gives. He, he's always going to give the centre back a, a torrid time, challenging for every single ball. He doesn't win every single ball, but he makes him himself felt he makes himself heard and that's what this this Watford side really really needs and go on Jace it gave the attack a focal point didn't it because and we weren't afraid of getting the ball up quickly today yeah. they were playing some long balls and it almost I don't know if that was just to try and get the ball up there and sort of try and win the um sort of the, the, the battle in terms of where the ball was on the pitch but also I think it was uh, some of it was let's not muck about let's not try and give the ball away in areas where we could be putting ourselves at risk like we did against Palace in the Cup last season it's just a case of like let's get it let's get it up the pitch let's see if Troy can win it Troy did win a lot of balls he was flicking a lot of balls on but he gave us that focal point in attack yeah the, the ball spent more time in the Palace half than it did, did the Watford half and I think the stats are, are quite telling I think Watford had 13 shots on target uh, sort of 13 shots I think only two or three on target Palace didn't have a single shot on target which probably 
it doesn't tell the full story of the uh, game. Watford didn't didn't sort of batter them, but Watford certainly looked the more lightly and, and created the better chances. And over the, you know, Leicester ended up being disappointing. And people will look at the the stat. We didn't have a, a single shot on target in that game. But going back to Troy's program notes, he said, you know, don't get too caught up in the in the stats on that one because I think it it, it was a much fresher slightly more vibrant more sort of felt like the shackles were off to a degree against Leicester and I think again you know we were unlucky admittedly Vardy should have probably had a penalty for for his one that VAR turned down but then when Leicester's actual penalty there wasn't a penalty again was it really so I think we're perhaps I don't know to call us unlucky against against Leicester would would probably be pushing it but there's it felt like there were some green shoots and that that continued today with a much more sort of aggressive potent performance today but and and before we before we move on too much because uh, I'm going to be a little bit critical <laughs> I thought we've, we've seen in the last in Southampton uh, perhaps a lesser lesser degree against Leicester here again today just what Saar can do uh, I mean, he had he had the left side of that um, of that Crystal Palace defence absolutely rocking. He did them on toast, had them on toast a couple of times, um, and of the, the the battle of the sort of quick, skillful winger slash strikers, him and Zaha, him and Zaha on that on that showing. I don't know which one one I'd I'd rather have. I thought he was absolutely terrific. He he showed for the ball he wanted. He dropped deep to get it, then beat a man a couple of times. You saw him put the afterburners on, and that's only the sort of second or third time we've really seen that. And you think, God, yeah, you know, all this mythical pace we've heard about. There it was. He was leaving. He was leaving. He was leaving defenders absolutely dead, stranded in in his wake. But I think all too often, um, again, and the case in point today, and baby steps. Let's take the positives from it. We, it was a far more um, threatening, far more cohesive, far more complete performance. Uh, I think it, we're we're right to, to look at restricting Palace to having no shots. You know, Ayu is isn't the greatest centre forward in in the country, but he he's on a really good hot run. So he would have fancied his chances coming up against the against the the, the division's bottom uh, bottom side. Zaha likewise. Bentecchio when he comes on, obviously he's he's struggling in his career at the moment. But to restrict them to no shots on target is is good. I think the the crux of the, where the issue is, you know, there's a lot of people saying, "Oh, it's just not falling for us at the moment," and it isn't just falling for us. But we're architects of our own downfall mm. still. With that final ball, we had a couple of breaks when it was sort of three on one. And just the ball slightly gone behind, slightly overhit. The Tsar um, had to arch his back to try and get one to at the far post when it, it felt, you know, a decent ball and we would have scored. Um, Andre Gray snatched at one. You know, his first couple of touches when he came on looked he looked nervous, he looked tentative, and you know that's what you get when you when you're down there. But again, that final third, it is just killing us we're doing we're but doing it was stuff. far far better this time with those balls coming in from Zaha he was crossing I mean the ball he put in for uh, Andre to miss was beautiful he absolutely curled it brilliantly the balls were going into that box and they were going to Watford players and we haven't even tried that recently because there has been nobody there and you say that's the role that that Deeney did and, and in fact you know there was there was a bit more than just just him up there and, and attacking it is still and I think if we sat down in fact, if I could mind read now, Nigel Pearson's to-do list, the f- number one thing is to score some goals. Uh, and we've been saying it for a few weeks. Just listen, listen to the past podcast, Nigel. You'll, you'll, you'll probably get the idea. Um, but, you know, Zara is definitely good. I think a couple of players for me that really um, stepped up today, particularly from the Leicester game, defensively, Jason, was number one, Kiko, uh, did a brilliant at least 70, 80 minutes against uh, Zaha. Uh, but also Adam Asina getting more play t- playing time is, is getting him to being much more uh, happy and productive. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and the biggest fear with, with Palace is not just Sahar, but you've spoken about IU. Townsend as well, they've got pace up front in abundance. And you, you worry with our defence how we're going to cope and that they're going to rip us to shreds, particularly what we've seen earlier this season. But the, those guys, yeah, they're both centre-backs. Good to see Cabaselli back. Yeah. He had a good game as well. Um, but yeah, Firmino, from, again, sort of from the off, um, was causing Zaha problems. He, Zaha didn't know how to sort of beat him I think in the first half he really really struggled I think probably the way that we were playing the fact that we were sort of playing with such high intensity I guess the guys started to tire as the game sort of wore on and sort of that last like you say the last sort of 10-15 minutes Zaha started to get some more joy and whilst this is a Watford podcast I have to say fair play to to, to Woy he kept Zaha on I thought perhaps he, he was going to take him off um, at half time when we saw uh, the substitute coming on I thought it was going to be Zaha going off but no kept Zaha on the pitch and whilst it didn't sort of bear any fruit for them he was certainly sort of calmed down a bit caused us a few problems towards the end of the game then it all sort of kicked off again and he got all stroppy again but um, yeah back to Firmino much much better from him yeah I did quite like the thing I think we need to cover a thing when Zaha comes we shouldn't boo him either we need to laugh Every time he gets the ball, like laugh it or get some honking horn. <laughs> Every time, just something to wind him up. Booing, I think, only helps. Just an idea. Um, but Mike, the let's go back to the. I suppose in many ways, my biggest problem, but also, yeah, my biggest problem with the Watford team in terms of our attack and it, it is Jero Delafeu. Um, it is the fact that you can look at him and his productivity and you think he's the most skillful player and you know that he is making things happen but he can't finish a toffee and his crossing today was just well one of them was strict, you know, fundamentally dangerous for a ball he put over to, to Zar uh, near the end for the header Colin did make the joke that um, maybe Mr Pearson will be quite harsh and uh, he'll be tre- you know, training with the under-23s fairly soon. I don't think that's going to happen, but he is an enig- enigma. Yeah, I mean, his performance as a whole was fine. I thought he, he, didn't, he didn't hide away. He, was, he showed the ball. You still want a little bit tracking back from him because of the state we're in. But I think that's us being more demanding because we want everyone to be like 100, you know, all shoulders to the, all shoulders to the, to the wheel. And we're probably asking a bit much in, in that respect. And I thought he, you know, he didn't hide and he, and he kept going. And, and he's one that I guess he, his confidence is, is down there as well. And you know, having, this, having this thought before the game, I was thinking about it, and I have been quite critical of, of his players. And I think, you know, this team should be beating Palace. So I think we have a right to be critical. I think they'd be critical of themselves. And I think people like Gerard Delefeu doesn't go onto the pitch thinking, oh, might play well today, might not. They're, you know, they're professionals. Everyone, when they play football, whether you're outside in the garden with your, with your son or your daughter, or you're doing keepy-uppies on the beach, or you're playing Sunday, you want to do as best, better as possible. And I think that goes for all these Watford players. But you have to say, for someone who is, you know, you would list as one of our, our game changers, one of the, you know, if you're doing one of those elite, average, yeah. rubbish sort of bar charts, you, you would probably put him in, in our elite section we simply don't get enough from him i think he had that that chance at the at the at the near post and it's like right you either need to square it back across or you need to absolutely leather the hell out of it so that the net ends up in Rose Ed of the rookery along with the keeper and it's and it's like it was a, a it was like a back pass yeah. and i think that you know he doesn't do it on purpose he's looking to get it on target would have been equally 
uh, equally critical if, if, if he'd have skied it, <laughs> having put his laces through it. But it does, you know, like you say, his, the, the, the delivery really isn't isn't good enough. You can see what he's trying to do, and if one does come off, you know, those low trajectory whippy balls are tough to get right because you only need to beat the first man, and then they're, they're, they're downward and they're incredibly difficult to defend. But when they don't come off, they look terrible, and <laughs> and we get that more to, more often than not. You, the, it's sort of it's almost post wolves. He's trying that that sort of. Yeah. It's almost as if it's a it's a um, it's like a, he's got a bit of dark sides and he's got the yips when he passes. He has to do that sort of funny movement with his foot, which I understand. You know, you can whip it and get that trajectory. But the bottom line is, we're not getting anywhere near enough out of him from an end product point of view I thought you know you couldn't I don't think you could fault his effort today I've been critical of him in the past and I think we have a right to be critical when your end product is 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 nil in effect I was gonna say I think we got the work rate from him today yep. there's been yep. times where it looks like he's just sulking and he doesn't want to be in the game yep. today he was definitely in the game and it was just that decision making that yep. let him down so Mr Pearson has watched that game. A lovely round of applause at the, at the beginning, showing that the, the, the Watford faithful are behind him. Um, he's got some tough games coming up. Yes. But that, for me, is an amazingly better team that finished a week ago. Is, am I right that it's just the finishing that he needs to work on and the morale he needs to work on? Or is it going to be other, other, other things, do you think, for him? It's the whole bank shoot, isn't it? It's the whole cohesion, the whole togetherness of the squad. They need to know that they're, they're in a battle. I thought we had a much, much better... It's been a much better... We're no better off in terms of points, but if we feel almost... Yeah, one better... Uh, oh yeah, one yeah. For this, sorry, that's all. For, yeah, one, let's not forget the one. We're one point better off. Um, <laughs> but it does feel that this, the, 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 the team have taken a, a step forward. It felt like the fans were back on board yeah. a little bit more today. And you know, we were saying we were talking off Mike before the game. And it did feel like everyone was a little bit sort of not apprehensive, but a little bit sort of resigned. Into you know, there wasn't the usual sort of cock a hoop walking down down uh, Occupation Road. But I thought the crowd did well today. They were. They felt like the bond is back. And I think that's largely to do with um, the optimism that Hayden Mullins has uh, has, has done by uh, the two performances, and I think all credit to him. He didn't have a lot to lose, to, to be fair. So he did have the he did have a bit of a free hit, but he he's done yeah, he's done really well. I'm sorry to interrupt. That's something I've been thinking about as a, as an interim manager, not a caretaker manager. Yeah, when did that when did that happen? When, when did we get rid of the word caretaker? Football changing far too much. As an interim manager, have you almost got like say a free hit? Can you just go for it? Just tell them to, yeah, attack, attack, attack. And if we pull off a, a win, then, yeah, great for me. If we don't, oh, well, I'm only the caretaker. Sorry, interim manager. But, but yeah, I mean, what, what ultimately, what he needs to summon, he needs to remind this group of players that they're, they're good. They're better than their, their league position. We should have won today. That Palace team was absolutely, absolutely there for the taking. And it's another home game where we've created enough chances to, to win the game. You know, I think Bournemouth was one where a nil-nil where we probably it would take a draw. But Sheffield United, again, we, we, we made the guilt edge chance. You know, we would have been four points better off, and the and the season is looking incredibly uh, different if that if those go in. So, I don't think there's anywhere else he needs to look. I think the defence is starting to to look a lot better. Um, you know, Messina has stepped up. I don't think he's a long term term solution. Kiko's come in for for many has come in for a lot of criticism this week, but I thought he responded uh, well today. Um, you know, Dawson was getting better before a lot a lot better in fact before his injury. We're looking like one of our, our better defenders. I thought Cabaselli was okay again today. He's he's a good centre back. Foster looked comfortable. He came and claimed anything that, that he had to. Capu and Decore had a funny one today, but you know you, we know what we're going to get from them if they if they switch on. We've got cleverly to come back. I don't know when when he's due back, but he I think he's a big miss, sort of ferreting around, water carrying in the in the middle. 
he's just got to get this final third. And I think once it's, you could see it today, once it starts flowing, we win that game 3-0. Yeah. If, we're, if, win, if we're 13th in the table, we win that game 2 or 3-0. If we were you know, 15th in the table when we played Sheffield United, we win that game 2-0. And, that, and I, think it is, I think it is that simple. But of course it isn't, because as I said before, you can't just sprinkle confidence on everyone before you go out. You can't just sort of give the shooting boots a polish and, and, and yeah, lo and behold, the balls are flying in and the crosses are landing on Watford Strikers' head. It doesn't happen like that. And we know we've seen it time and time again before. Teams who are in, in danger at the bottom have bad luck. Uh, it doesn't fall for us. You bemoan, you know, I thought there was another iffy shout for a penalty today. I thought um, the, the one with Troy Deeney, was it Cahill? With had yeah, his, Cahill apparently he's had him in a headlock. Uh, yeah. You saw the, saw the replays. I was in the Elton John and you could see the replays and he had, he had his arms around him. And it's, I guess it's one of those where, the, where Roy Hodgson say, well, if you give those every week, there's going to be 15 million penalties. Yeah. But, but, Troy, but Troy, doesn't, Troy doesn't com- complain a lot. He doesn't complain the way he complained he there. Yeah. He was very cross and he definitely felt it. And, well, we, I'm sure we'll see the replays uh, later on. But... The reign of Pearson starts next week away at Liverpool. We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! It's coming to the end of the decade. Uh, it's coming to the end of uh, the decade of, of from the Recurring Podcast. But today was the anniversary, the tenth anniversary of Lloyd Doherty's first ever goal as a Watford player. Now, it, it, there's loads of these, uh, you know, best ofs from the last decade that are out and about there. So everyone with their Spotify list this week. Thank you very much to the few of you who uh, who chose shared yours. Where uh, from the Recurring Podcast was quite high up in your lists, but. That we want to do our own little thing, but we're going to make this a proper competition. So basically, we're going to remove Troy Deeney. We are going to have a knockout, a group stage and knockout via our social medias at Watford Podcast for the Watford fans' favourite, not best, favourite player from the last 10 years. You start off first season, halfway through the first season under Malky Mackay uh, and up to the present day. We've got a list, but we want to have your suggestions. Get involved at Watford Podcast. Who should be included? The first name I put down there, Michael, Marco Cassetti. Got to be an absolute favourite of mine. The beard. The beard. One, I, lo- I love him. I lo- the thing I lo- always remember about Marco Cassetti, we watched a game with him. It was absolutely yeah. ter- terrific. We already got sent off against Peterborough and the sort of dismissive wave of the ref just <laughs> laughing as he ran off. Said, oh, you foolish human. Sort of sending me off. Yeah, some, some player, wasn't he? And then when you do start looking back, you realise, and let's keep this light and positive, because yeah. we realise there's been quite a lot of players who haven't necessarily hit the heights. But also we've had some, some amazing footballers and some amazing moments in the, in the last decade, in the last 10 years of, uh, from the Rookery M podcast. So, yeah, Cassetti is, uh, is a great one. Yeah, we've got the, we got the obvious ones on there. You know, the people who have done done good for Watford. Uh, we've got Mar- Angel Mariapa. We've got some of the original uh, Lonies, Joel Ekstrand, Daniel Poodle. Uh, then, but then, like, it took me a while to get here. Number 20 on the list so far, like my working list, was Jonathan Hogg. Nyra Nosworthy. You know, these people have got to be considered in this competition. Jason, um, is that who, who would have been your first person on your favourite list? Uh, would have been Alman Abdi for me, and I can pinpoint the exact moment when he reached number one on the list. Charlton away yeah. in that first Potsay season. He was walking through treacle at the end of that game, thanks to... Uh, Young Mr. Forestieri getting sent off, which was, which I have to before say, half-time. before I've started, in fact, you, I, myself and your brother Andy called it. He got he got booked, I yeah. think, for 
running out of the defensive wall at a free kick early. Got booked for that. We both looked at each other and went, he's going to get sent off today. And he duly obliged by, ironically, <laughs> on, on the day we're talking after the, when we're talking after the Palace game. Got, yeah, second yellow for diving. But yeah, Abdi put in a shift, scored a great free kick because we used to score free kicks back in the way, not, just, not back in the day, not just hit the wall with every single one. And by the end, he looked absolutely shattered. I just remember him sort of forcing his, his legs in front of him to walk over to the away fans at the end and give us a clap what a man yeah there is, it is a long list uh, we've got up to 32 at the moment but there'll be a draw uh, where we'll have uh, a set of groups there'll be group stage vote followed by a knockout competition to find who is your favourite Watford player of the last decade that isn't Troy Deeney it's, it's, it's lovely that we're doing this but of course the trophy's already etched uh, can I present it to John Eustace when he wins? <laughs> A podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans. This is from the Rookery End. Thank you very much for listening to From the Rooker End. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, after Liverpool away. Mike, you, your idea, your tactic was it that you said just don't send anybody? Yeah. Yeah, they're talking the tickets on sale. So don't don't worry about tickets. Don't send the team. What is it? Three nil. Three nil defeat. I think three nil defeat. Uh, that'll do. But I, that said, all joking aside, for a first game for 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 Nigel Pearson, I think he'll be absolutely absolutely licking his lips. Liverpool will expect to win the game comfortably. I don't I don't know why. <laughs> I mean, um, and so, and, and when that, that does happen, I know you know Liverpool are looking looking pretty good. Um, they haven't lost in a long time in the league, and whether they take their foot off the gas, whether Klopp's tempted to to rotate the squad a little bit, uh, Nigel Pearson will want to be coming back with a bang. So. I can't, I can't believe I'm trying to talk myself into about being positive about, about Anfield, so I'm just going to stop. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll get that Tommy Mooney-type uh, performance and have a 1-0 win uh, away at uh, Anfield. I did actually meet a Liverpool fan of the other day, and he mentioned that. But, but Mike, if, if, if they do win, it's almost like a punishment. I think you, if Watford do win next week... We're going to we're, Jason and I'll come up with some sort of punishment for you. Fair. I think I've been unduly negative about this uh, this trip to Anfield, so I will gladly take any punishment that comes my way. Don't come on your horns. <laughs> <laughs> any ideas what that punishment should be? At Watford Podcast uh, on uh, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you very much, Jason. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Hey, look, no worries. <laughs> and thank you to Colin earlier on uh, for our, our chat. Uh, it, we we go on with another manager but a very decent performance to go forward with today. Come on, you all.